Well, how are we? Doing well? Man, I'm so excited to be back and to be here. And before we jump into the message, I just want to first say thank you to all of you uh, for participating in the life of the church over the last month. It's been great. You know, summer's always a time where people are taking breaks and vacations and those kinds of things. Uh, but you've stayed active, you've stayed engaged, and so that's fantastic because the ministry never quits. And so thank you for doing that. Also, I want to say thank you to our staff and our team, that uh, all of our teams that just have done a phenomenal job over the last several weeks. Uh, uh, just leading and moving and, and doing everything that, not moving in the sense like we're moving somewhere, but just moving and shaking. That's kind of what I'm thinking and uh, making things happen. Um, but it's just an, a really amazing thing to be away and know that everything is good. And, and I want to specifically say to the, the pastors that spoke over the last several weeks, y'all guys give it up for them. They did a phenomenal job. Um, preaching the word. And it was just cool the way it all lined up that each, each section of scripture that each guy took uh, was kind of either their, one of their favorite set of scriptures or what they really wanted to talk about. Uh, and so it was just cool to see how God lined that up. But I'm very excited to be back to preach again, because obviously I love doing that. And so we'll have a good time. I'm sure I'll sweat and we'll get excited. All right. Uh, that hasn't gone away. All right. Uh, so I am uh, looking forward to preaching, but not necessarily the sweating. So if you have a Bible, open it up to first John chapter four. We're just going to pick up where Corey left off last week. And where, while you're turning there, um, I just want to say, obviously, over the next few months, we'll be talking about just the, the things that God has been showing us and, and what we've been praying through about the future of the church. And we're just really, really excited, not only about who God is, what God's doing. And, and I got to tell you, in the history, I, you know, I've been here for eight and a half years. I'm probably more excited today, even than I was when my family moved here eight and a half years ago. Um, because, you know, moving four states away to a new church, a new state, new city, new people, what, wasn't really sure how it was going to go, uh, but obviously God has blessed, thank God. Um, but now looking forward to the future, we have the past to see God's past faithfulness, to see what he has done, which just makes us more excited about what he will do. Uh, and so I'm very excited over the next few months to be talking about that. And you'll hear that. There's no way I can download all that today. But what we are going to download today is 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So if you don't have a Bible, as always, it's on the screen. But if you don't even own one, we'd love to give you one for free as a gift. So let's jump in. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, I've said this to you before, but you need to understand that the chapter and verse divisions that we have in our Bible, those aren't inspired. And what I mean by that is those aren't necessarily there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because those came you know, several centuries later. Some monks got together in the ninth century and put all the chapter and, verses and verse divisions there, which are helpful as far as memorizing or turning to things, because if that wasn't there, I couldn't say First John 4. I'd just be like, you know, go to this sentence. But the divisions there sometimes can kind of disrupt the flow of thought that the author is having. And I think this is one of those places. And so to understand verse one of chapter four, you got to go back to verse 24 of chapter three, which Corey ended his message on last week, talking about by this we know by the spirit, his spirit that he gave to us. And so he ended that, you know, chapter, even though it, when he was writing, it was just a letter just from beginning to end. It's one flow of thought. And so what he's saying is that spirit God has given to us. Now he's telling us how to test the spirit to see whether or not it's God's spirit. 
And so he's going to help us understand, and he gives them the command, don't believe every spirit. And the way it's written, it better would be translated in English, stop believing every spirit. Because what was happening in John's community is there were some people that were a part of his community, that were part of the Christian church at that time, that started going off kind of what we would call heresy, which is a different doctrine. They were starting to believe different things, and then they were telling it to the Christians, and the Christians were being confused. They were being led astray. And what John is saying is, stop believing all the spirits, but test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. For, and that little word for is the purpose clause. It's telling you why he's saying that. The reason why you need to test them is because there are false prophets in the world. Now, the term false prophet literally is the Greek word pseudo-prophetess. And so our English word pseudo, we just brought over straight from the Greek. And so it's just a Greek, again, you knew Greek, didn't even know it. But the Greek word pseudo, false, that we translate here as false, means appearing real but not genuine. So if something is pseudo, right, it's false, it's not for real, it's a fake, it's a copy, but it's not genuine. And so John says there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world, And by definition, since they're pseudo-prophets, they're not real prophets. They're not speaking true things, so you can't believe them. Stop believing them. Instead, test them to see whether or not they're true. Now, this is one of those things that makes being a Christian um, not weird, so I don't mean it like that, but... Uh, let me give you a scenario. You know, if you're sitting around, you know, a campfire as young kids do, and they're telling ghost stories with flashlights, which I don't ever understand why we do that at night. It just makes it more scary anyway, because I was one of those that saw that, like that old Stand By Me movie, you know, just sitting there at night, like seeing a ghost and everything, right? But you're sitting around a campfire telling ghost stories. Well, as Christians, we're like, we don't believe in ghosts, and we don't. But what you would say is, well, what I believe is, is demons, And demons don't walk around, you know, with sheet on their head like Casper, but they actually indwell people and animals. Oh, thanks, because that's better, right? Like, (laughs) that's less scary than a ghost floating around. But we know that, obviously, because we see it in the scriptures. Jesus, on one occasion, again, just one of those crazy stories where he uh, releases a a man who's been demon-possessed. He casts the demon out, and then the demons are like, hey, it's not our time yet, Jesus. And they recognize who Jesus was. So he casts them into the pigs, and the pigs take a dive off the cliff, right? Like, that's a weird story. And, And, you know, my first question is, is like, did they make bacon out of those pigs after they landed? Like, I don't know what happened there. Is that unholy? But the point of it is this. There are spirits that are not from God. And we need to know that. There are spirits that are from God and there are spirits that are not from God. Now, here's what we need to understand. Again, we don't believe in just you know, floating creatures around, but every human being is a spirit. God is a spirit. The Bible tells us that. And you see this in creation when the spirit of God 
is hovering over the face of the deep and God speaks. And just like the Holy Spirit who inspired the word of God, he brought it forth. He brought forth the word of God in the creation of the world. And then through this whole creation process, he creates man, he forms him and then breathes into him. So this word here, spirit, the Greek word pneuma means breath. So when we talk about spirit, we're talking about breath. And we know that when someone dies, their body's there, their mind is there, but their spirit is gone. So there was a time that you didn't exist, but there will never be a time that you don't exist from this point forward because you are a spirit and your spirit lives on forever. But here's what we need to understand about human spirits. Human spirits at the end of the day are under the control of either the spirit of God or the spirit of the anti-God. Look at what John says in verse two and three. He says, by this you know the Spirit, capital S. That's how you can always distinguish. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Gives a capital S. The Spirit of God. Every spirit, again, that, talking about us, that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit, lowercase s, that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now let's talk about this. Again, this is written first century, 2,000 years ago almost. So John is saying to his beloved people here, you gotta, you gotta stop believing all those spirits because not every spirit is from God. Not every Remember, a false prophet is a person. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter seven, he says, these are people, these are wolves in sheep's clothing. I love how Lecrae says in one of his songs, these are sheep with sharp teeth. So false prophets go out into the world and they are professing. That's what prophets do. They profess, they proclaim, they say something. But he, he says you have to test those prophets. You have to test those spirits to see whether or not they're from God. The word from is a preposition of direction. So it's coming to you, but it may not have originated at God. It may have originated in the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, again, we could talk a lot about that, but let me break this down as simply as I possibly can. There's only two spirits. Just like in the Garden of Eden, there was two trees. The tree of life the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. Now, there were obviously other trees, but two points here. You can believe in the spirit of God or the spirit of the anti-Christ. So the entire belief system of the world, every belief that is out there today can be broken down into two categories, Christ spirit and the anti-Christ spirit. There's no middle ground. There's no in-between. It either comes from God or it's not from God. It's from the spirit of the anti-God. And the word anti is the Greek prefix that comes before a word, which means the opposite of. We, again, we just brought that over into English. We say things like anti-freeze. So we put anti-freeze in our car. And the goal of that is for it not to freeze. You guys are smart. Thank God. You put it in your car so it doesn't freeze. It's anti-freeze. It's the opposite of freezing. And so when he says there's the spirit of God, capital S, and then the spirit of the antichrist, he's saying, listen, every philosophy, every profession, every word that comes to you is coming from one of two spirits. 
The spirit of Christ or the spirit of the Antichrist? And you and I have to be able to discern the difference. And how do we discern the difference? The difference is Jesus. What is that spirit? Now listen, confess about Jesus. See, when people are professing something that they believe that you need to believe, you have to back up and look to see what they have first confessed. Before they profess something to you, proclaim to you, you have to see what they have confessed to believe. And that confession is the bedrock of their belief system. Now, I love how Jesus, you don't have to turn there, says in John 16, again, the same writer of this, uh, the Gospel of John wrote this, John 16, uh, Jesus said this in verse 13, when the Spirit, capital S, of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. That is so key. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the spirit of Christ, you know what he's going to do? He's going to lead you to confess that Christ is Jesus or Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. You realize Jesus Christ wasn't his name. Jesus was his name. Christ is his title. He's the Messiah. He is the one who has come in the flesh. And he doesn't just mean a physical coming, although, yes, that's you know, inherent in the meaning, but what he's meaning is he came, he is God who came in the flesh, dwelt among us. We have beheld his glory of the only one from the father. And so he lived a perfect sinless life, died a sinner's death, and he rose again on the third day and he sits now at the right hand of God. If somebody is professing something to you that hasn't first confessed their belief in that, don't listen to them. That's the point. And see, here's what was happening in John's day. There was a group of people that we now call the Gnostics because from the Greek word gnosis or gnosis, which means to know, which is the exact word that John says here, when you know, it's the Greek word gnosis, it means to know by experience. And so what was happening is this group of people were saying they had some special knowledge. They had some special revelation, like Yeah, what John said was cute, what Jesus said was cute, but here's what we have from God. We have this special revelation from God for you. I've got a word from God for you. And John is saying, listen, there's gonna be a lot of false prophets, a lot of pseudo-prophetesses that come and say that to you, and you have to be able to discern whether or not that's from God. And what's the clincher? What does that person confess about Jesus? And now here's the real key. The spirit of God, Jesus says, submits to the authority of Christ. And so that person who's coming to you, how do they respond to authority? What's their spirit of authority? Because not everybody, Jesus says, that says Jesus is Lord is, do I know? So there are plenty of people that made a confession, but they're not submitting to the authority of Christ in their life. They're not submitting to the authority of the word as you're gonna see John say in verse six here in just a little bit in their life. You have to test the spirits. Lindsay and I were driving on Friday just down Riverstone headed uh, to go eat with some friends and I saw this car and you know, you have to be careful what you put on your car as far as bumper stickers go. Um, and so you never know if I'm gonna use you in a sermon. But I, I just bumper stickers tell you a lot about who the person is and what they believe by you know, what they put on their car. And 
So this car on the back, it was some kind of SUV, not on the glass, but on the paint, which I'm always like, mm, tells me a lot about you. You put it on your car, on the paint, and the sticker said, together in Christ. I'm like, oh, what, what a great sticker. I, yeah, I can get behind that spirit. But then up on the window, they had an OU sticker, University of Oklahoma. And I'm like, no, that is straight from the devil, right? Like this. <laughs> Testing that spirit, baby. That is not from God. And, and obviously, I mean that to be jokeful because somebody can cheer for a team that you hate and still be of God. So the, the real litmus test is, did you know that? You didn't know that? Okay, this is a discipleship issue, all right? The real litmus test is what is their confession about who Jesus is and how the spirit of Jesus functions in their life? Does the spirit of Jesus have the authority in their life? And here's the biggest way you can tell. Does the special knowledge that they claim to have from God puff them up? Does it puff them up to where they feel like they have more knowledge, you don't have it, they have it, and you need to come to where they are? See, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, again, you don't have to turn there and just write it down. You can write it as a reference, look it up later. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, this knowledge, I love how he puts it in quotations, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You want to know the primary way you can distinguish between the Holy Spirit and the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of Christ, spirit of the Antichrist? The spirit of the Antichrist is all about puffing you up. The spirit of Christ is all about building others up. So if somebody comes to you with the spirit of knowledge and they're saying, man, I, I know some stuff and yet they don't have a track record of submitting to authority in their life, but they have this special knowledge and they're not using that to build up others, but to build up themselves and tear down others. Not only does that happen in middle school, but some of us never graduated out of that thought process where we're still building, puffing ourselves up and we're not understanding that the spirit of Christ is in us to build others up. How do we know this spirit? Because that was the spirit of Christ. Like, like, how did Christ act? It's fascinating. You can go read this in the Gospels, but Jesus has been with his disciples for three years, and they get to the end, and he's about to go to the cross, and he brings them all together, and they're about to have the Lord's Supper. And you know what they're arguing about? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest among us? Now, I gotta tell you as a pastor, that gives me so much hope that people that were with Jesus for three years still didn't get it right. <laughs> like, they hung with Jesus for three years and they're still arguing about who's the greatest? I got some time. <laughs> but you remember? They're arguing about who's the greatest and Jesus says, I'll show you a better way. And he washes their feet and he says... The greatest among you is your, what? Servant. You want to know the spirit of Christ? It's a servant spirit. You want to know the spirit of the Antichrist? It's a tyrant spirit. That's how you know. This is why John, you're going to see this next week if you come back for verse 7, you know, through the end of chapter 4. He goes right into love again. It's going to sound a lot like a sermon you heard a few weeks ago, which you don't really remember anyway. So that's why I'm so glad John goes through circular. But he says, you know what? If you claim to know God and you hate your brother, you don't know God. 
Why? Because the spirit of Christ is going to have one effect in your life and it is going to be to humble you to get below others and lift them up. If that's not the spirit that you have, then you're not listening to the right spirit. We did a series years ago. It's on our website called Ants. It was very creative and we said, uh, what ant are you? And the idea of it was is this idea that Jesus said, are you a servant or a tyrant? Again, I told you it's very creative. And um, (laughs) so what ant are you? Let me ask it to you like this. If you are married, what is the spirit of your marriage? What spirit exists in your marriage? is Is it the spirit of God? where there's mutual submission, Jesus talked about in Ephesians chapter five, where he said, husbands love your wives, wives submit, respect your husbands. Is there a spirit of a servant? Let me ask it like this. Is your heart towards your spouse to get below and build them up? Or is your heart towards your spouse to come home and sit down and tyrant it and they serve you? Get in there and cook me something, woman. Is that your spirit? If that's your spirit, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. Let me ask you this. What's the spirit in your parenting? Again, Ephesians 6. Paul talks about children, obey your parents. For this is pleasing to the Lord, right? So children, what's your spirit towards your parents? Parents, what's your spirit towards your kids? Interestingly enough, in those first few verses in chapter six, he says to the fathers, I wasn't here for Father's Day, so this is a late Father's Day message for you, just trying to get it in there. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What's your spirit towards your kids? Is it to serve them and build them up? Is your spirit in your house towards your children one of discipleship, one of trying to get the word of God into them? Is the spirit in how you're building your house the one that says, listen, the key difference in your life is not whether or not you go to college or get a college scholarship. The key difference in your life is Jesus. So is the spirit of what you've sown, the Bible says you reap what you sow, And so if you sow to the flesh, you reap the flesh. If you sow to the spirit, you reap the spirit. Do your kids believe that the success of their life is sowing to the spirit or sowing to a sport? What's the spirit? Let me ask another one. What's the spirit of your finances? Is the spirit of your, Jesus says this in the gospels. He says, listen, you can serve God. You can serve money. And that word word there is mammon. You can't have two masters. It's either the spirit of God on your money or it's the spirit of mammon on your money. What's the spirit? You know what the spirit of mammon says? Get all you can. You know what the spirit of God says? Give all you can. Give all you can. And here's the beauty of the spirit of God. You give all you can and I will bless. So you can give more. What's the spirit? Here's another one. Because that's one of those you're like, I don't want you to go away for four weeks again and say stuff like that. Um, (laughs) What's the spirit of the church? 
Now, when I say church, I don't mean the building because we know church is the people. But when you gather together on a weekly basis with the people of God, what spirit do you as the church bring to others? Do you bring the spirit of, I am here for you to serve me? So you're here for somebody else to park you, for somebody else to help you in, for somebody else to greet you, for somebody else to get your cup of coffee and have your seven kinds of sweetener and then come in and receive and then leave. If that's the spirit where you don't come in with the servant spirit, then I hate to tell you, if it's not the spirit of Christ, it's the spirit of the Antichrist. So when he says test the spirits, he's not just talking about look out for heresy, look out for people who have claimed to have this special knowledge and they have gone off on the deep end. As Peter says, he says, listen, they're speaking destructive heresies. I think a lot of times those are much easier to recognize. And a lot of times it's harder for those who claim to have confessed, but don't submit in any way in their life. By this, you'll know. They've confessed Christ. And in confessing Christ, they're going to be not a false prophet, but a true prophet. And what is the point of prophecy? To build up. Interesting, and I don't have time to get into this all together, but let me just give you a little thought experiment here to kind of trace out prophecy and the spirit in the Bible. But after the people of God left Egypt, going into their promised land, obviously God raised up Moses, put his spirit on Moses, and then was bringing them out. And as they get out, you know, they are destined now to stay in the wilderness for 40 years and complain. And so Moses is having a conversation with God in Numbers chapter 11. It's like, God, these people are complaining all the time, which again, I know never happens with the people of God today. And so Moses is saying, God, I don't know what to do with all of them. And God says to Moses, go get me 70 men who you know to be the elders of the people, bring them to me. And I'm gonna put my spirit that's on you, on them. And it's capital S. You can go back and look at it, talking about the Holy Spirit. So I'm gonna put my spirit on you, that's on you, on them. And so that happens. Two of the men weren't there at that point in time and they're in the camp and they start prophesying. They all start prophesying. Two of them aren't there at that point. And jo uh, Joseph, Joshua hears them prophesying and he comes to Moses and he says, Moses, tell him to stop. And Moses says, why are you jealous for me, Joshua? Would it be that all God's people would prophesy? Would it be that God would put his spirit on everybody? Then you go into Joel, and Joel, what was a prayer of Moses in Numbers chapter 11, is now a prophecy in Joel chapter 2, where Joel says, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit, and old men, young men, old women, young women, maidservants, manservants, all flesh will prophesy, will dream dreams. And then in Acts chapter two, when Peter stands up at Pentecost and he says what just happened when the Holy Spirit came and everybody heard the pronouncement of the gospel in their language, Peter says what you just heard was the fulfillment of Joel chapter two. God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh and everybody's prophesying. Why? Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 verse three that prophecy, the point of prophecy is for the building up and the encouragement and the consolation of the church. So what am I saying here? What I'm saying is God wants to pour out his spirit on all flesh 
And we saw that at Pentecost and he's still doing that. But what is the whole reason why God wants to pour out his spirit? Why did that happen? Because God wants the spirit of, that was in Christ, in his people, and then those people going out and encouraging and building up and consoling other people. That's the point. So here's my point. If you claim to have a special revelation from God and it doesn't involve loving other people, then it is not from God. Let's go to, that was just the first three. First, verse four. Verse four, I gotta hurry. Verse four, little children. Hear the affection? Beloved little children. He's speaking to them like a father would his kids. You are from God and have overcome them. For, another big purpose statement here, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit, capital S, of truth and the spirit, lowercase s, of error. Here's what he's saying. Here's the good news. The spirit of Christ wins. He said, he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. He says, you're from God and have overcome. What's amazing about that statement, he says, you are from God. The word from is a preposition of source, not a preposition of direction, which means God's the source. And therefore, by definition, the subject he has overcome. So it's not that you have overcome or I have overcome, but God has overcome. Why? Because God is greater than he who's in the world. How do we know that God is greater than he who's in the world? Because God put on flesh and dwelt among us and was tempted in every way we were tempted and listened to the lies of Satan and let evil people kill him. Then the Bible says he came back to life again, putting on display all the principalities, all the princes of the air, all the spirits. He says, I have overcome you. I beat death by the inside by dying and beating it. Listen, I want you to understand something. Christianity is not some epic battle of good versus evil. I say this often and it needs to be repeated, especially in a day where we just don't know what up and down is anymore. And I'm not even talking necessarily politically speaking. I'm just talking about truth. I love Chinese food, but I don't like Chinese philosophy. And what I mean by that is this, this isn't yin yang, good versus evil. And this is epic battle. And sometimes good is doing it. And sometimes evil is doing it. And we're just keep giving to good and good will hopefully come over evil. No, you need to understand something. This is not some kind of grudge match that God's involved in. God is sovereign. He is over everything. Satan is a creature he created. Do you think he's scared of him? And listen, I'm not trying to blaspheme him because the Bible says don't do that. I'm just telling you the truth of the word of God because we have a wrong image of the spirit of the Antichrist. You need to understand something. Hell is not run and ruled by Satan. He's not down there with a red pitchfork. like I'm gonna get all these people. No, he's here. He's on this earth. And when he goes to hell because God will throw him into hell, he will not be ruling and reigning. God will. God rules heaven, God rules hell, God rules everything. He's God. And so Satan 
will go to hell and be punished. And anybody who believes in the spirit of his antichrist will go there with him. And what I'm saying is this. You and I can have the confidence that we stand up and speak about the truth of the word of God as found in this book, that it will overcome any other spirit. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that in a way to make you arrogant. Because a lot of people have knowledge and it's made them more arrogant. I'm like, well, that's so antichrist. Because Jesus, obviously, he is the word, and yet he humbled himself to the point of death. Here's the good news. Our spirit wins. The spirit of Christ wins. How do we know that? He's just already come back from the dead. So any other spirit that comes against the church, any other spirit that comes against the scripture, any other spirit that comes against God will lose. So you and I can have confidence in knowing that it doesn't matter what's going on in our country per se. I mean, it does matter on one level, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean that God's not in control. So you and I can stand up with boldness and say, listen, this is the truth. And that's what we're called to do. But here's what's gonna happen. It happened in John's day. It's gonna happen in our day. This is why John said in verse six, if they're not from us, they're not from God. How in the world can John say that? I don't get to say that. Because I'm not John. John gets to say that because John spent time with Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. What John says is on a different level than what Jason says. John was used by the Holy Spirit to pen the words of God. And so when John says, whoever knows God listens to us, what he's saying is, we could translate that today, whoever knows God listens to this book. If they claim to know God and don't listen to this book or they question the truths that are found in this book and they say things like, well, is that really what he said? Where have you heard that before? Genesis 3. And what was the spirit of Satan who was indwelling a serpent at that point? Attacking. He was attacking the word of God. Every attack from the spirit of the Antichrist is an attack on this. And here's what you need to hear me say. You may not be a false prophet who is out there speaking these things, but you might be a false proselyte, which is a fancy word. I just chose it because it's a P, you know, like alliteration, which means believer. Proselyte means convert. You may not be a false prophet who's speaking it, but you may be a false convert who's listening to it. This is why the person that is gossiping and the person who's listening to it are both equally wrong. You may not be saying it, but you might be receiving it in your spirit. Somebody else may be saying, you know, I'm not the false prophet. I'm just sharing what they said. Oh, then inadvertently you're being used by the spirit of the Antichrist to destroy the unity of what God's trying to build up. That's why you got to test the spirits, my friend. See, some people might have the truth, but they use it as a hammer. They kind of miss that whole point of speak the truth in love. 
This is why I want the spirit of our church to be the spirit of Christ that comes in and says, who do I need to serve? Who doesn't look for a cup of coffee to be handed to them, but looks for a towel to be wrapped over their waist and say, where do you want me? That's the spirit of Christ. And whoever doesn't have a servant-hearted, humble spirit speaking truth is not of God. So once again, what's the spirit in your marriage? What's the spirit in your house? What's the spirit in your finances? What's the spirit in this house? Is it the spirit of God? that is looking to prophesy, to build others up. Don't get hung up on what prophecy is. Prophecy isn't like you're gonna have a flat tire tomorrow. It's not predicting the future as much as it is building up with truth. Saying, this is true, this is true, this is true. And this is for you, this is for you. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, Please, I would rather speak five words of prophecy than 10,000 in a tongue. Because when I am prophesying, when the spirit of God is indwelling me and I'm prophesying, I'm not a false prophet, but I'm speaking on his behalf to people to build them up in Christ, then everybody wins. So if there's a spirit that is puffing up, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, instead of love that is building up, then that is the spirit of the Antichrist. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, first and foremost, who you are. You are God. You are the source. You are the creator. You are good. And thank you, God, that you're greater. God, without scriptures like this that speak in such a way to say things like we've overcome, We wouldn't have the confidence in the truth of that if Christ hadn't overcome. But we can have the confidence that yes, we're more than conquerors. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. And so now we show our greatness by taking the position of least we serve. Oh, how your spirit is so anti the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world says, get all you can, exalt yourself. But the spirit of Jesus says, give all you can, humble yourself. And God, thank you for promises that say, when we humble ourselves, you will exalt us. You'll raise us just like you rose Christ. And so God, I pray for anybody in the house or listening or watching right now who has never confessed Christ, who has never believed in who Jesus is and what Jesus did. 
They don't need some new special revelation. They just need to understand the original revelation, which is the word made flesh who dwelt among us and who is the payment for our sins. So God, by your Holy Spirit right now, we know that nobody comes to you unless you draw them, unless you open their eyes. So would you do that? Would you open their eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is? Nobody looking around or talking here as we wrap this up. First question is, what spirit have you come from? If you haven't confessed Jesus, then it's not God. I don't care how good you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what else you believe. If you have not confessed Jesus, it's not God. So if you want to trust Jesus, confess Jesus, be saved. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And it's not necessarily the prayer that saves you. God opens your eyes and you respond in faith. You confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. And if you want to trust Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray with me to yourself, not out loud. And it goes like this. Say, God, thank you for opening my eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is. I trust him to save me. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to build others up. In Jesus' name. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just pray to trust Christ, I want you to do one thing for me. Would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put your hand down. But then those of us here that you would say you have confessed Christ, but if you were honest, you weren't operating in submission to his spirit. You weren't positioning yourself as a servant in your relationships, in the church, in your friendships, in your family, even in your workplace. You want to change the spirit of your workplace? Go in to serve. Build others up. Watch what God does. And so simply today, if that's you, you don't need to be saved again. You just need to repent of the fact that you haven't been acting saved. You haven't been submitting to the spirit of God, letting him fill you up and then emptying yourself to build others up. The good news is, Jesus said, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more so does the Father know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God, would you let your spirit permeate this place? Fill us up so we can go out into this world and serve and share Stand on the truth of the rock of who you are, but not do it in an arrogant way. God, one of the biggest failures that Christians make is we just go out and try to profess to everybody what we believe to be true without first showing them that it is true in us. So we serve and share. And so God, we pray for your spirit to fill us 
And that that would be the spirit of our house here as a church to serve the way that we've been served, to love the way that we've been loved. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.